Miriam is a 22-year-old Ugandan mother. I met Miriam in the Dusty Soul Cafe, the favorite hangout of Mzungu, or foreigners like me. Soul Cafe is in Niganga town, a small city three hours north of Kampala, the capital city of Uganda. The day I met Miriam, I also met Joshua, her six-month-old son. Joshua, she's a happy boy and a loving one. Doesn't cry, he's healthy. Yeah. He's six months old now. It sounds like you love him a lot. Yeah, I love him. Miriam held Joshua close to her chest, snug in strong arms. When we sat down to talk, she set him on her lap and ate reaching around him. He likes to grab things, so she had to keep moving her chicken away from his little hands. Compared to some of the other Ugandan mothers I met and interviewed in Iganga town, Miriam is of a slightly higher class. Her pretty green patterned dress and Joshua's cute little trucker hat were subtle signs that she's better off than many farming Ugandans. But Joshua is not just lucky to have stylish headwear. He's lucky to be alive. Joshua was born through an emergency cesarean section. Miriam had severe obstructed labor. She was transported between three different health facilities before a doctor was found to perform her C-section. Miriam's delivery story has a happy ending. Joshua's here today. Many other Ugandan women with complicated deliveries were not so lucky. The maternal mortality rate in Uganda is 438 out of 100,000. That means for every 100,000 live births, 438 women die. Compare that to the U.S., where 21 women die per 100,000. Or Greece, where three. And you can see the problem. I had traveled to Uganda hoping to find the answer to the question, why are so many women dying from birth-related complications? In my search for answers, I talked to men and women like Miriam and discovered that the answer is complex. Lack of education, poverty, desire for many children, and gender inequality are just some of the many factors that contribute to Uganda's high maternal death rate. It's this tangled combination that makes the problem so difficult to tackle. To really understand how all these factors are woven together, you have to look at the entire lives of these women. It's easy just to think of 438 out of 100,000 as a statistic, but you have to remember, each of those numbers is a story. So your name is? Nabulumba Maria. Nabolumba Mariam, yeah. and we are joined by your son Joshua. Joshua Mwangus. How old are you, Joshua? Six months old. <laughs> <laughs> He's very cute. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is Miriam back at Seoul. While most Ugandans are subsistence farmers, Miriam works on and off as a translator. Miriam's upbringing and job gave her certain opportunities that many rural village women don't have. But her journey still shows the dangers of pregnancy and delivery in Uganda. Um, first of all, I never wanted to have a baby. But because I'd finished my studies, I said, let me just keep my pregnancy, then have the child. But I wanted first get a job, then think of having a family. Were you not using any family planning? Yeah, I wasn't using any family planning. I knew, I knew, but I just didn't want to use the family planning methods because of the disadvantages. I talked to many women in Iganga and the small villages surrounding the town, and I heard this response more than once. Myths about contraceptives are pervasive. They thought that uh, they would get cancers, various cancers from there, from these uh, family planning methods. They thought they would also deliver uh, malformed children if they used family planning and they want to produce again. Their children maybe may lack like uh, eyes, hands or whatever. This is Dr. Charles Weiswa, the head gynecologist and obstetrician at Iganga Hospital. Dr. Weiswa considers lack of health knowledge to be the largest problem confronting maternal health in Uganda. When I was in the community, I looked at women, <coughs> okay, the biggest problem was ignorance. I realized that, so I thought if I, I joined obsessed gynecology, we could find a way of how to educate the women in the community, in the local community, in the villages. Dr. Weiswa is a short man with a round face. He's soft-spoken and wears these white gumboots that look out of place. We're used to picturing doctors in pristine lab coats, not rain shoes. I watched Dr. Weiswa do a cesarean on a young woman, and I saw a lot of blood run off the table. Between operations, the operating theater is just hosed down for the next patient. The boots keep his feet dry. Outside of Iganga Hospital, Dr. Weiswa is also an active community educator and family planning advocate. He took me through his entire flip chart of methods, from condoms to intrauterine devices. Family planning methods confront big cultural obstacles in Uganda. Traditionally, big families are a good thing. The current fertility rate is 6.2. That means the average number of children per woman is 6.2. Rural Ugandan women want so many children as insurance. With high rates of poverty and disease, the chances that all your children are going to make it to adulthood isn't very high. So to be on the safe side, parents want lots of children. But Miriam wasn't even expecting to become a parent. When Miriam found out she was pregnant with Joshua, she was working as a translator for an American woman named Julia. I got information from my friend Julia when we were working with her, I learned, and that's when I learned that I was supposed to go for antenatal because I never knew that pregnant women are supposed to go for antenatal. I thought that when they go there, they're already sick just to go for medicine. So when I learned, I had to start going for antenatal. So what exactly is antenatal? Antenatal care is the catch-all term for the care of pregnant women throughout their nine months. 
Here in the United States, it seems pretty obvious that a woman would want to monitor her and her baby's health through regular checkups, tests, and maybe medication. In Uganda, many women don't know about or don't have these options. They believe what Miriam used to believe, that you just sit around the house and wait. They think that the only time you need to go to the hospital is when your contractions start or something feels really off. Even with Uganda's limited health resources, antenatal care is still a key preventative measure to protect the health of mothers and children. When women are better educated on how to care for themselves, the chances of complications during and after delivery are significantly reduced. Unfortunately, not all women make it to antenatal. When this happens, complications usually go unknown until delivery. Dr. Weiswood told me the story of a woman he received who had come from a traditional birth attendant, or TBA. TBAs are local village women who help deliver babies. What they know about delivering comes from experience or is passed down to them from older TBAs. They have no actual formal medical training. When Dr. Weiswa's patient arrived, she was bleeding heavily. She had obstructed labor. Her baby was stuck. To help the delivery go, the TBA tried to turn the baby, but she used a stick and unintentionally pierced the woman's uterus. Despite Dr. Weiswa's best efforts, he was unable to save the woman or her baby. When Dr. Weiswa told this story, he couldn't look up at me. He said he knew she had left 10 children, who now have to face their lives without a mother. I asked Dr. Weiswa, how does he keep going after cases like this? What makes me keep going is that uh, although the situation is very bad, but I look like there's some improvement. So what gives me go ahead is when I work on someone and goes home with a live child and the mother is okay. That's what keeps me going. <laughs> the Ugandan government has recognized ignorance about health as a key problem and has tried to incorporate education into their health system. There are also volunteer groups, like Kalaloo Women's Voice, that work to educate rural villages about reproductive health. Kalaloo Women's Voice is a 15-woman volunteer group that teaches lessons on maternal health. They travel to different villages in the Ganga district and perform outreaches, catchy mixes of song, dance, and drama. Through these performances, they educate their audiences about the importance of family planning, maintaining health during pregnancy, and delivering in safe settings like the hospital. Nampina Ruth is a mother of five. You just heard her captivate an entire village with a song encouraging women to go to antenatal care. Ruth told me that she received antenatal care for all five of her children. 
I wanted to see what an antenatal checkup looked like, so I visited the Ibulanku Health Center. That's where I met Rita. Rita is a nurse at the Ibulanku Health Center. She's young, sassy, and has a bright pink streak in her hair that matches her personality. She's the one who runs the antenatal clinic on Tuesdays. Actually, when they always come on antenatal, the first thing we normally do before any palpation of the mothers is to give a health talk. According to, for preparation of the coming baby. At the Ibulanku Health Center, women line up on wooden benches for their turn to see Rita. They chatter in Lusoga, trading pregnancy tips and commiserating on morning sickness and aching backs. A year ago, Miriam sat on these benches. When Rita calls your name, you enter a small room. Rita's an expert at teasing out information from a bulging stomach. In America, we have things like sonograms and EKGs that give us the exact location and heart rates of fetuses. But at the Ibulanku Health Center, Rita's main tool is her hands. You feel it for the fetal head, over the part which is presenting down. I press, I press here, down finger. When it is below the umbilicus, these are, these are the 20 weeks. After the physical, Rita returns to health education. She reminds the woman of the ways in which they are supposed to take care of themselves and prepare for delivery. Each mother is also supposed to get a supply of iron supplements but often the health center runs out of stock. Ruth went to antenatal at the Busesa Health Center, one village over from where Rita works at Ibulanku. Through a translator, Ruth told me the advice that she got at antenatal. When I went to antenatal, they told me to prepare money for transport to the health center. They told me to get a mama kit, and if not a mama kit, at least prepare some bread, a thread to tie the umbilical cord, some clothes to carry to the baby, and soap. A typical mama kit contains some soap, some cotton, string to tie off the baby's umbilical cord, and some sort of cloth to wrap the baby when it's born. The nurses also emphasize the importance of saving money. Kalu Village is a cluster of homes nestled two miles away from the highway along a small, bumpy dirt road. Even once you reach the highway, Iganga Town is another 15 minutes drive. Transportation costs money, so saving is a key theme in the songs Ruth performs for Kalu Woman's Voice. With my last child, I was so happy being fully prepared. I went to the internet and saved, before I had to take a boda boda or sometimes a bicycle. Ruth didn't have to take a bicycle because she and her husband had saved. Groups like Kalu Woman's Voice sing to entire communities because both women and men need to be educated. Men in Uganda often know very little about safe pregnancy. Um, the Ugandan men think the pregnancy is for the woman, and she, but even some don't give even financial support. They really think it is the, it's the woman's problem. 
Uganda is a historically patriarchal society, so often it's the men who make the decision of where a woman will deliver and the amount of antenatal care she will receive. Sometimes this rigid decision-making structure can lead to disasters. Dr. Weiswood told me the story of a pregnant woman who needed a C-section, but her husband was far away in another village. She wouldn't agree for the operation until she had his consent. To be operated, she refused. She had to wait for the man to come and, and decide for her whether she should go for operation. We tried to convince her, she tried to counsel her and she refused. And we waited the following day when the husband came. It wasn't until the next day that her husband returned and got to the hospital. By then, it was too late. The baby was severely obstructed, and so we operated, but uh, we ended up uh, with early neonatal death. When a woman dies in childbirth, it is said that she has died in war. This describes well how dangerous giving birth is in Uganda. Luckily, Miriam had a supportive boyfriend, who took her to antenatal care. They saved up money together. As she approached nine months, she was prepared as she could be. When she felt her first labor pain, Miriam was with her sister. I, I, I gathered my clothes, like my bag, then walked to the health center. They examined me, and then they told me that I will produce in time, so I rested. Everything seemed to be going well, at first. Miriam's labor pains got stronger. The midwives at the health center recorded the time between each contraction in a little notebook. Miriam lay on the raised patient bed in the simple delivery room. There were no beeping machines or monitors, just a small metal bowl next to her in case she needed to throw up. A few hours in, Miriam tried to lift herself to get off the bed and knew something was wrong. the bed, that thing broke. What thing broke? There was a thing that carries water. Uh, it broke like at, uh, it was at 3 a.m. So I thought my baby was going to come. I felt pain until 2 p.m. That's 11 hours of labor. Miriam's cervix was dilated. But where was Joshua? High labor pains. There were too many. But the baby wasn't coming. So I started having those fluid, yellowish, then uh, greenish. It was too much. The Ugandan health system is organized into tiers of facilities. Miriam was at the most basic, the health center one. Health centers rarely have doctors present. So Miriam was attended by two midwives. Some uh, midwife told me that that one is supposed to be taken to another hospital. We can't handle her. So she was taken to Aganga Hospital. But apparently there were too many women waiting for operations. Miriam experienced one of the core problems of maternal health in Uganda, 
the resource gap. Iganga Hospital was built to serve 250,000 people, but currently it serves 2.5 million. This is a hospital with only one operating room. This is Dr. Weiswa again. You will find sometimes mothers are delivering on the floor. You are forced to discharge people sometimes earlier than you would. But the biggest resource missing is the human resource. For every 100,000 Ugandans, there's only one doctor. It's easy to see how Miriam arrived at Iganga Hospital and found too many women waiting for an operation or in the middle of labor. So she had to be taken to the next nearest hospital, in Jinja, a city 40 minutes away. When I reached there again, they examined me, they checked the, 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 that baby's heart whether it was still fun, or like beating or pumping. And they said the baby's still breathing, but he's, he's weak. They took me, they covered me, took me to the theater. They first injected me at the back. Then I, down here I never had pain, I never felt any pain. But up here I could feel myself. So I saw them pulling out my son. They removed him, then they showed me that this is your son. So then after that I told them I'm feeling pain as they were trying, I think, to, to avoid it to so. So I don't know, I just slept. I slept, then waking up, they had already finished. We don't know exactly what happened to obstruct Miriam's delivery, but it's clear her condition required a cesarean. American hospitals use a sheet to block mothers from seeing their open abdomens in case of inducing shock. But hospitals in Uganda don't have the funds for such sheets. That's why Miriam was able to see the doctors remove Joshua from her. No one told her what was happening, or she was too anesthetized to understand. Hospitals have such a high volume of women to deliver, it's a little like an assembly line. After the doctor finished, Miriam was wheeled straight to the maternity ward, a large open room with around 50 beds. Getting from one side of the room to the other is a little like weaving through a maze of mothers. Families are spread around the beds, sitting on woven mats, eating, talking, and caring for the newborns. This is where Miriam woke up. I, I first asked the doctor, what have you done to me? Because, you know, coming out of sleep, I just asked him, what have you done to me? Where is my child? Where is my sister? I was just speaking a lot. So after that, I felt headache, severe headache. In Uganda, cesareans are a very touchy subject. It's said that if you got a C-section, you didn't push hard enough. You didn't really give birth. Miriam doesn't like to talk about her cesarean. She feels ashamed and she hates the scar on her stomach. But she says undergoing the operation was worth it. Thank you, God, you gave me my fruit. I never carried my son for nine months for nothing. At least you gave me the fruit back. If it wasn't here, Gloria could have lost to the boy all that long. Miriam looks forward to Joshua growing up 
getting a job, and eventually a family of his own. She knows one day he's going to take care of her. Miriam calls Joshua her gift from God. Turns out to be a gift. He's a gift not easily come by. As I learned from Miriam and Ruth and Rita and all the men and women who told me their stories, maternal health in Uganda is an extremely tangled knot. Maternal health doesn't just start when a woman feels her first labor pang or even when she conceives. It begins years before with her parents, her education, the man she marries or chooses to have a baby with. It's affected by the number of midwives at the health center, whether the hospital's electricity is working that day, the number of mouths she already has to feed. And then there are bigger problems, like poor school systems, poverty, and gender roles. The problem is not as simple as a single statistic. The thing about a tangled knot is that it's rarely composed of just one knot. It's usually made up of dozens, or even hundreds. But there are ways in which those knots can and are being loosened. Programs like antenatal care have the power to reduce the number of mothers who are dying in Uganda. And groups like Kalu Woman's Voice are spreading life-saving information. Families are recognizing the value of education and saving up money for delivery. The responsibility lies on multiple levels the government of Uganda, international organizations, and the communities themselves, they all have a role in making mothers safer. Miriam can hold Joshua today because of the work that has been done so far. But she's one story in the statistic, one little knot in the larger snarl. There are other mothers not alive to tell their story, but they are still part of the knot. We have to remember those women. If we continue efforts to loosen the knot, we might see more Miriams with more Joshuas in their arms.